death that you died. Lord, we are raised alive by salvation, by your grace, by your mercy. Lord, this morning I pray that you just bring us back to the place where we first fell in love with you. I'll never forget I was 11 years old when I gave my heart to Jesus, truly gave my heart to Jesus. 
And along the way, there's always stumbles, there's trials, there's temptations, there's things that happen. But I tell you, when we stay on that path towards God, pursuing the prize before us, I'm telling you, one day, church, we're going to stand before the glory of God. We're going to stand before the King of all kings. We're going to stand before the Lord of all lords. Pursue him. Pursue his glory. Pursue his presence. Lord, how we need you this morning. How we need you this morning, Jesus. How we need your presence pursue you in all of your glory. Mm. Who is this King of glory? You're the King of all kings. Can we lift our hands this morning? Can we magnify that King? Can we praise that King? Can we honor that King today? in all of your glory and all of your splendor and all of your presence Jesus I worship I worship you we worship
Jesus never fails. <laughs> Come on, somebody just say that. My Jesus never fails. My Jesus never fails. He 
these things we say and do, Lord, have your way this morning. Thank you for coming and inhabiting the praises of your people. Open our ears to hear. Open our minds to understand. May we open our hearts to receive your word. Anoint your servant this morning. We praise you. We honor you. We love you. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Turn on next to you and say, he is faithful. Amen. for faith. How about you? Glad for faith. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, Faith's Hall of Fame, and Samantha Comer is going to come and get us started by quoting from the beginning of Hebrews 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Good job. Thank you. Great job. I've enjoyed hearing the kids, the students, sorry, they're not kids, they're students, hearing the kids are baby goats, <laughs> hearing the students quote. Have you enjoyed them? Give them all a hand. You've done a great job. In fact, I'm thinking about continuing that on throughout the rest of the year and picking out adults. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I'll rethink that. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11, Faith's Hall of Fame. We've talked about having a better Savior that produced for us a better covenant. That better Savior who produced for us a better covenant has produced for us a better faith than what was available under the Old Testament. This is, as I've already mentioned, normally referred to as Faith's Hall of Fame. Men and women who express their faith in God by their lifestyle and is one of the diamond chapters of Scripture. If you say the chapter of faith, most believers who've been around any time at all will know that you're referring to Hebrews chapter 11. 
So as we look at this chapter, we could go through each faith story one at a time. And I've done that, but that took about 15 weeks. It would take us a while to do all that. So I asked God to help me see the principles that would rise out of this chapter. And you may see it differently than I do, but at least this is what my perspective on some of the issues that rise up out of faith. And when we talk about faith, we've got to talk about what faith means. It's one of the hardest words to define because it means so many things to so many people. The word faith in scripture carries with it two important concepts, conviction and commitment. It's conviction about what you believe and commitment to the one you believe in. And it runs all through the definition of that term. I've thought too about when we talk about faith in other people, how many of you have at least one other person you have faith in? Yeah, great. How many of you have a friend or a family member you say, well, I have a little faith in them? (laughs) Do you know really when we say we have a little faith in them, what we're really saying is we don't have faith in them. We have faith that they will perform at a low level, perhaps only when they're within our eyesight, but we don't really have confidence in them. You can't have a little faith in God. You either have faith in God or you don't. There's no in-between ground. You either, you either have a conviction about what you believe and are committed to the one you believe in or you don't believe at all. There's no room in the biblical definition of faith for a haphazard or a halfway approach. I kind of trust in God. No, you don't. Either do or you don't. So Hebrews chapter 11 tells us why faith matters and how it impacts our lives. When we look at the issue of faith, most of us think about faith this way. I want to go to heaven, and if I'm going to go to heaven, I need to have faith in God. And while that's true, that's such an inferior understanding of faith and an inferior way of living out your faith. It's about so much more than just going to heaven. And so I want you to see the principles that rise out of this chapter for a couple of reasons. One, to inform you of a broader picture of faith. And second, I hope to challenge you to dig a little deeper in your faith. I do not believe that the days ahead of the church will be easy days. I do believe that the days ahead of the church will be victorious days for people who have faith. Remember how chapter 10 ended. Chapter 10 ended this way. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he promised for in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. That's the context for this chapter. The writer of Hebrews is saying, we're not part of the people that draw back. God takes no pleasure in people that draw back. He takes pleasure in those who press forward. So then, what does that look like? And that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is about. Story after story after story of faith. The first thing that faith does in our lives in the first six verses is that faith defines my worldview. Faith defines 
my worldview. Everything about your life and how you see this world reflects on your faith commitment. It starts off this way, that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Faith determines my stability of my spiritual walk. Confidence and assurance comes with faith in those things which are not visible. I believe in God, but I can't see him. I'm reminded of the college student that was challenged in a science class by his professor about believing in what you cannot see. Challenged him about his faith in God. And he said, can you see God? He said, no. Can you hear God? No. Can you touch God? No. Can you taste God? No. Can you smell God? No. Therefore, the professor said, by empirical senses, there is no God. The student responded this way, professor, can you see your brain? Can you hear your brain? Can you smell your brain? Can you taste your brain? Can you feel your brain? Therefore, by empirical evidence, you have no brain. <laughs> I can't prove to you that heaven exists, and I just need to tell you that while I may be encouraged, as many of you are, about stories of people who have been there and come back, there are also stories of people who have had weird experiences near death, and my faith Please understand what I'm saying. I'm not putting down anybody's experience. I'm saying that my faith doesn't rest on what someone experienced right before they died or at death and came back. I'm not looking for a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm not looking for a garden with beautiful flowers. What am I looking for? I'm looking for the place where God dwells and where Jesus is and whatever that looks like will be all right with me. How do you know that there's a heaven because I have an unexplainable confidence and an unexplainable assurance that what I believe is true. It's a knowing beyond knowing. And the word confidence means more than just kind of an idea that you ascend to. It speaks of a foundation. It speaks of a concrete faith. I'm absolutely sure that what I believe is true, not because of the martyrs who gave their lives, not because of books that I've read, but because of what I've read in the Word of God and what happens to me when I believe the Word of God, it puts an assurance in me, it puts a confidence in me that the world didn't give and the world can't take away and nothing erodes that. Is there anyone in the house this morning? Faith affects my worldview. It gives me confidence and assurance to face the future and everything that's coming. I don't worry about tomorrow. I don't worry about politics. I don't worry about the government. I don't worry about ungodly agendas because I've got some concrete in my spirit. I have some assurance in my soul and that came from believing in God. Faith is that confidence for me. It's confidence and assurance. It affects my worldview. It affects everything that I see. Now hear me, if you are afraid of the future, your worldview is not governed by your faith. Just saying to you, I'm trying to help you this morning. 
If you're worried about tomorrow, if you're worried, now I'm not saying you shouldn't be concerned. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray. I'm not saying you shouldn't have some, some intelligent focus on what may be coming, but we're not called to live by fear. We're called to live by assurance and confidence, and I know that if we draw back, we'll be destroyed, but if we press forward, we will overcome. My worldview, my view of everything that I see around me is governed by confidence and assurance in God. I have a conviction of who he is and confident that he will do what he says, and my trust is in him. Now, it goes another step in this worldview, and some of you may be rattled by this, but this morning, I'm not worried about that. (laughs) The origin of the world and how you view it determines whether you are genuinely a person of faith. I have never met, now hang with me and don't get mad at me. We'll talk about this if you want to. But I've never met a confident believer who believed that this world evolved by purely evolutionary processes. Never have. Now, I've met a number of believers who believe in intelligent design through evolutionary processes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what you believe about the origin of the world. And if you believe that it was purely happenstance by chance, then your existence here is happenstance and by chance. And there is no divine purpose for your life and no focus for the future and destroys your confidence and assurance. By faith, we understand. Are you hearing me this morning by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command now I'm not going to argue you uh, with you about processes but this world was created by God himself at his command and you have to own that I've never met a confident child of God that rejected at least intelligent design and the purposes of God now I'm going to really mess with you, okay? And you don't have to believe what I believe because I didn't write this book. And you can argue with me if you want, but there is a growing move within evangelicalism to harmonize evolutionary theory with biblical creation. There's a move toward that. And... If you, now please hear me, I'm not, I'm not going to put you, I'm not saying you're not going to heaven if you believe that intelligent design moved through evolutionary processes, okay? That, hold your hand up if you understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you're not going to go to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just telling you where I live. Where do I live? I believe that God created this world in six literal 24-hour days. And I believe on the seventh day, he rested. That's what I believe. Well, what about all of the discussion about the billions and billions of years? Well, let me just ask you this. It kind of relates to this question. Were Adam and Eve uh, created with a belly button? People love to debate that back and forth. And I will tell you this. Adam and Eve were not created as infants They didn't start off as an embryo in a disembodied uterus. 
They were created by God with what? The appearance of age. So however old they were, they were created to look older than they were. On day one, they were 30 years old. How many hear what I'm saying? So if God can create the world with the appearance of age, I mean, Adam and Eve, he could create the world with the appearance of age. That's where I sit. But here's what I see as the bigger question. How big is your God? Is he big enough that he could have done it? Because I need a God who can respond in real time, in the moment. Hello? I need a real God that doesn't have to wait millions and millions of years to get to me, that all things are held in his hand. And I'm just wondering, if you don't believe he created it, how in the world do you think he's going to raise you from the dead and get you to heaven? How are you going to do that? So I, am, I have great respect for intelligent design, people who say, yeah, I can't get there. That's fine. And I don't believe that'll keep you out of heaven. That's not what I'm saying. I just want to throw down the gauntlet where I believe and I have the debate with you so you don't misunderstand the platform that I come from. I have confidence in a God who's big enough to create everything what we see in six literal days and that he can take care of me forever. And the basis of that that is non-negotiable is it was created by the hand of God. There is no room for us to veer from that. There's no room. Hebrews is really clear. It affects my worldview. So on Wednesday night, when we're talking about things happening in the book of Revelation, I talked about continental drift and how the continents might come back together. And, and that created some, some consternation for a few folks. Well, listen, if you live where I live, it's not hard to believe that. If he made it in six days, he can do what he wants with it in a matter of hours. Don't worry, it gets better from here. <laughs> but I intended to shoot at that a little bit because your worldview will be determined about how you believe this world was created. See, likewise, corollary to that is, I don't believe there are any illegitimate children. I believe they're illegitimate adults. Hello? Every child should be loved. And every child born in this world was known by God before it came. And he has a plan for its life. That's what I believe. God is never taken by surprise. I believe in an intelligent designer that not only created this world in six literal days, but has a perfect plan for my life. And I also believe that when I miss it and mess up, he has a plan from that more moment forward. I don't forfeit that. He has a new path for me to walk. My worldview is immersed in the belief of a creator God who has all things in his hands what do you what do you think about and you can ask me about any political uprising he's got the whole world in his hands he's got the whole world in his hands he's got the little bitty baby is there anyone in the house in his hands he's got the rulers and the leaders in his hands he has the whole world in his hands see faith affects my worldview you can't separate those. You can't isolate those. 
Abel brought a better offering. Why? Because he had a biblical or a godly worldview to honor God. Enoch walked with God. Why? Because he had a worldview of a creator God. Um, without faith, then, in verse 6, it tells us that without faith, you cannot please God. Because if you are going to please God, you have to believe two things. You have to believe that he is. You have to come to him and believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's the worldview I have. I can come to God because I believe that he is and I believe he rewards those that come to him. That's my worldview. All right. Well, that was exciting. Second, why does faith matter? Because when I have a biblical worldview, then faith directs my behavior. Verses 7 to 16, what do you find out? You find that Noah obeyed and built the ark. He obeyed when everyone else mocked him. He obeyed when it wasn't raining. He obeyed when it didn't make sense. He obeyed. Why would he do that? Because he saw the one who was the creator of the universe that he owed his life to, and if he said it was going to be, I'll do it. When the world mocks, when the world ridicules, when it doesn't make sense, I'll build a boat when it hasn't ever rained. Faith obeys when it doesn't seem to make sense. Abraham obeyed. He went on a journey, not knowing where he's going or where he would end up, but his faith was demonstrated in his going. Why? Because he was looking for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now watch this. What was Abraham really looking for? He wasn't looking for the promised land. He was looking for the land of heavenly promise. He was looking for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. So then, when your destination is heaven, your journey from here to there is at his control. And that means if you're planning to make it to the heavenly city, you're going to do it by obeying what he demands on the way. Some people trust their GPS more than they trust God. You ever been misled by a GPS? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It is not omniscient. According to the GPS, I was on a highway that didn't exist. That doesn't help. Back in the days of CB radios, how many of you remember CB radios? Anybody have a CB radio? Anybody have a unique handle? What, what was yours, Tim? Country church, country parson. The pastor I worked for was 6'2 and 400 pounds, and his was the big parson. <laughs> Nobody argued with that. And I was driving when they needed directions. Somebody ever got directions from the CB radio? And I'm in Waterloo trying to find a fish store. And someone got on there and said, oh, I know exactly where that is. And I followed their directions exactly. And I ended up as far away as possible from the destination I wanted to go to. And that joker is probably still laughing about it today. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, I have a GPS system that is directing my life and it has never been wrong because I'm not looking for fame or fortune, fortune or anything here. I'm looking for a city. Is there anyone in the house? 
I'm looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's what I'm headed toward. I may stumble along the way. I may make some mistakes along the way. I have, and I'll make a few more. And there's not perfection that lives in this body, but what there is is a commitment to find that city. And I'm going to obey him along the way. That's proof of faith. It requires your acts of obedience. What it says about these people is that God is not ashamed of us. <laughs> Hang on. Because he has built for us a city. <laughs> I said he has built for us a city. And he's calling us to that city. So as they obeyed, we need to obey, looking for a city which hath foundations. And it warns us that if we weren't looking for the city, we'd be tempted to draw back. How many know that's true? I'm just telling you. If this is all there is, I wouldn't live the way I'm living. Not a chance. What do you mean? Oh, 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 I know what I mean. 10% of my church given, 10% uh, of my income given to the church? Are you out of your mind? Why would I do that if this is all there is? Why would I give, we give at least equal that amount to missions. Why would I give another portion of my, another 10% or more of my income to world missions if this is all there is? I wouldn't. There are some people I wouldn't even be nice to if this is all there is. <laughs> Hello? Are you kidding me? If this is all there is, I'm putting cast iron bumpers on my car, pal. And you're going in the ditch. Get out of my way. Anybody, if this is all there is. Hello? Come on. Come with me now. If this is all there is. Steal and get away. If this is all there is. Get ahead now. Grab all you can. Enjoy this life. You may as well because this is all there is. But this isn't all there is. I'm looking for a city. I said I'm looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And to get there, I'm going to obey him along the way. They obeyed when it didn't make sense. So then, number three, faith determines my future. It determines my future. In verses 17 to 31, there's quite a catalog of stories that happen. Abraham had resurrection faith. Isaac prophesied the future of his sons. Jacob blessed Joseph's sons. Moses' parents hid him. Moses cast his lot with the people of God. Israel passed through the Red Sea. The walls of Jericho fell. Rahab welcomed the spies. They were all future-focused in their choices and their decisions and their actions. They, their faith guided their decisions about their future. You don't prophesy over your bones if there's no future. You don't protect the spies if there's no future. But if you are looking for a city, you'll make decisions that will keep you on a track that will head you toward that destination. Your future rests on your faith decisions. 
Your future rests on your faith decisions. Now, I heard a story in the last couple of weeks that I just have to use, and I didn't ask permission, so I'm going to try to cloud the story a little bit. But someone was talking about interacting with someone who was in prison, who was up for parole. And when this person came up for parole, they didn't get parole. They said, it must just be the will of God that I not get parole. And the response of the person responding, the believer said, that had nothing to do with the will of God. That has everything to do with your ungodly choices. Because it wasn't the will of God that you damage your family. It wasn't the will of God that you did the evil things that you did. It wasn't the will of God that you go to prison. Right now, God has a will for you where you are, but it wasn't his will that you end up there. Hello? Is anybody hearing me now? I mean, sometimes we need a dose of real truth. We kind of coddle one another and we kind of coddle our kids and tell them they can be anything they want to be and everything's okay. Listen, they can't be everything they want to be. Not every kid born in, in the world today is going to grow up to be president. We don't have that many years left. Not everybody's going to achieve all those goals, but what they can do is make decisions that are faith-driven about their future so that God can place them where he wants them to be for the building of his kingdom now that will put us in his kingdom in the future. Faith-based decisions determine my future. There's a great debate that goes on about our future. Is it fate or personal choice? Shakespeare, scene two of Shakespeare's play, Julius Caesar. Caesar says to Brutus, the fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves that we are underlings. Well, in 2014, there was a movie released on a book some of you may have seen or read about that took the opposite side. It was called The Fault in Our Stars. And it's a storyline about two young people who have cancer. One has cancer, the other has ended up as an amputee and they're in this cancer facility together and they fall in love and one of them dies and it's one of those tragedies. And here's how it is wrapped up in the conclusion, the beauty of the message is that they can still live and make their decisions despite the fault in their stars, even when they know the inevitable fate that awaits them. I'm not a fatalist who believes that my future is predetermined and I can't do anything about it. I'm a realist and an optimist and a spiritualist that my decisions today dictate what will happen to me tomorrow. Now, there are things out there that I can't control. I understand that. There are things beyond my control, but I can control how I respond to them and the decisions I make today for where God wants to place my life. Is anyone hearing me this morning? Your future is in the hand of God, but your future will be determined by your faith-based or faith-focused decisions. Bad things happen to all of us that are not our choosing, but our handling of them and our ultimate fate is one of our choosing, heaven or hell. Fourth, faith defeats my enemies. <laughs> I like this part of the chapter. Overcomers in battle 
There's a long list. How many are still with me? Don't drift on me now. Wake up your neighbor. This is good stuff. Beginning in verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. Women received battle their dead raised to life again and we all shout hallelujah we want to hear that testimony we want to read that book we want to be overcomers and the good news is by faith we can do all those things I'm not sure, uh, Pastor Nathan, where we are, what moved you at that moment, but I thought, what a, what a, great, what a great thought for us to grab hold of in, in singing in the Spirit and prophetic worship to just begin to say, you may as well get behind me, Satan. Listen, whatever you're facing, stay with me because there's two sides to this story, but I do want you to know the Bible is filled with promises of victory. If God be for us, who can be against us? <laughs> oh, oh, I know of a lot of people. And I know a lot of things. He's not saying everything, everybody will be happy with you. But if God be for us, it might help us to read it this way. Why does it matter who's against us? Because nothing's going to get to me that hasn't come through the doorway of his permission. I don't always like that, but I do know when I go into battle, I go into battle to win. We were having a conversation this morning, my wife and I, over coffee, and one of our grandkids that if anybody has a heart to win, he does. It's all about, I'm going to win this battle. I'm going to overcome. I'm going to conquer. And that's the mindset of the Christian. We don't plan to fail. We don't plan to be defeated. We don't plan to lose. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. The devil has no place here, Jesus said. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We can't run through a troop, jump over a wall. We can put devils to flight. There's victory in the house of God. Is there anybody in this house that has victory? We can overcome the enemy when he comes against us. I can tell you story after story after story. Many win their fights. And that should be celebrated and give us hope. We should plan to win. And if you're going to win a battle, it's going to be won by faith. Well, I guess just bad and going to get worse. Not if you believe he created the world. Not if you believe that he is. Not if you believe that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Because at the end of the line, what happens between the beginning and the destination is important, but it's not the definition of our lives. I know this is so cheesy and so trite, but it is so true. I've read the back of the book, and I read on one who's riding a white horse 
whose name is the word of God. Out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. And when the armies war against him, he will win the battle. And you know what else I read? We will be riding with him and we are kings and priests to God and we will rule and reign with him. The gospel is a message of victory. It's a gospel message of overcoming. And when you face a battle, what should your mindset be? By faith, I will overcome. By faith, I will win the battle. By faith, I'm not giving up. We will subdue kingdoms. We will see the dead raised. We'll see victory in the house of God. Faith defeats my enemies. Let me tell you something else faith does, the way the chapter ends. Faith defends my trials. I am, I've been around long enough to know that the victories should be celebrated. We should celebrate those. We need to know that sometimes we win. But never should we celebrate the momentary win to the extent that people in the battle feel condemned. Because the ultimate victory is the city we're looking for. And if he gives you a victory today, oh, I I know how it is. <laughs> when someone is in a battle, pray for them. They're really struggling. Well, they might be. Because the Bible says right after this accounting of glorious victory, others were tortured. And this is interesting. And refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Think about that. Think about that a minute. For their faith, they were cut in half by a saw. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, ill-treated, and the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And there's a temptation for you when you win a victory to look down on someone who's in the battle, especially if they don't win that battle. I hesitate to say this, but I remember a good friend who was an evangelist whose grandson got cancer. And he was confessing and believing and confessing and believing for his grandson to be healed, and his grandson died. He spent the rest of his life condemning himself that his faith wasn't strong enough to see his grandson healed. That's an unhealthy faith perspective. 
Because faith is not an impersonal power that you tap into to accomplish your goals. Faith is confidence in the one who is and who will reward. And you trust that he will do the right thing. I understand we don't want them sharing their testimony with us about how much they struggled. And I remember growing up in the 70s during, um, during those days when the Soviet empire was in really in strong, full force and going to stamp out Christianity. And I remember the stories of the Bible smugglers. In fact, it was a story about a Bible smuggler that God used to call me into ministry. And I thought, God, I'll do that. I'll be a Bible smuggler because it means I won't have to stand in front of people and talk. You're supposed to be a believer in secret. If you're a Bible smuggler, I could do that. And I remember those stories. And they would tell you about suitcases full of Bibles. And they would open them at customs. And the Russian authorities would look at those and stamp them and send them on through. And no big deal. It was a miracle. Can I tell you the rest of that story? It wasn't a miracle that they got in. Because the requirement was you can bring them in. You just have to leave with the same number you brought in. Sometimes we make up miracles to get people to respond rather than admit the battle we're in. Isn't that unhealthy? I read about an evangelist's wife who was so afraid someone would see her at the hospital with her sick child that she put on a disguise and went into the hospital so no one would know it was her family because you can't admit a, a battle. That's unhealthy. Hello? That's unhealthy. Because faith isn't, isn't winning. Faith is confidence and conviction that at the end of the day, we win. And there are some battles and struggles along the way that challenge us. Others were tortured. Some will criticize you when you're in the trial. But here's the good news. They were all commended for their faith. The one that lived in a hole was commended the same as the one who brought down the walls of Jericho. Are you hearing me? The ones who won the temporal battle are commended with the ones who were destitute. What Hebrews is trying to get us to see is in the battle, if no one else will defend you, God will. If you're living by faith and says, I will use you for my kingdom purposes, whether, whether we want to go down that road or not, because it's not measured by what it produces. It measures by the one that we trust in. Can you look at an open grave? And keep your confidence in him. Can you look at a physical illness and keep your confidence in him? Because one thing I know, there'll be no blind man in Hallelujah Square. There'll be no sickness in heaven. Every sorrow, every pain, every tear, every sickness will be wiped away. And that isn't promised us ahead of heaven. Faith will defend you in the trial. I can't do it. 
I can't tell you how frustrating, how frustrated I've been by Christians. When we walk through, not, not by all, but when we walk through some of our darkest days, it's sometimes, Pastor Tim, we're unbelievers that were more supportive. Yeah. It's like, well, if you just went to this meeting or if you fasted or are you trusting these scriptures? Are you reading this book? I didn't always find my support from other believers because they lived in just part of Hebrews 11. But you know where, it, where I found it? was every Saturday night walking the front of the church, praying in the spirit that God would give me grace for another day. And I never found him to fail because he defended me in my battle. You see, there are places in the battle you'll have our opportunity to share Jesus that you won't have in the victory. I stood in a with an MRI technician and began to, and got a chance to talk to him about the power of prayer. And you know what made the difference? Made the difference for him is because we were in the battle and I hadn't let go of my faith. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because faith isn't in what it produces. It's who it abides in. Because I'm looking for a city. And faith is confidence and assurance that he is and that he rewards them that diligently seek him. And I am not, well, I want to win some battles, and we can, and we ought to approach it as a conqueror. Jake, I know that you want to get to the field of your assignment. And if you ever sit and say, well, I don't think we're ever going to make it, I'm going to chew your hide. <laughs> How many are hearing what I'm saying? The goal needs to be we're going to make it. But I'll tell you, if that door slammed permanently shut, that's not failure. It's another door that he will open. How many are hearing what I'm saying? We put too much emphasis on the battle and the temporal. When whatever trial we face, our confidence is in him. Why? Because here's what it reminds us. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better. <laughs> Can you believe that? While I'm wandering in goat skins and caves and holes in the ground, what are you saying? I'm saying that God has planned something better. In your momentary victory that you're dancing on the devil's head, he still has something better planned. We're people of victory, not of defeat. We're people of joy, not despair. We're overcomers through him more than conquerors. Why? Because our confidence doesn't depend upon the momentary outcome. It depends in the ultimate plan of God who wherever we are and whatever we're experiencing has planned something better for you. This isn't home yet. <laughs> I'm going to meddle with you just a little bit further because you look like you need it. <laughs> I remember when the NIV first came out and the uh, King James Bible in John chapter 14 I go and prepare 
In my Father's house are many mansions. And we sang, I've got a mansion. We sang all those songs, and we're so set on the mansion that when the NIV came out, and it said, in my Father's house are many rooms, we weren't hearing that. <laughs> oh, no. No, 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 no. I got a mansion. And then someone wrote a song where Jesus is. We'll be heaven for me. I don't care if it's a little cabin in the corner of glory land or an apartment in a high rise. I don't care what it looks like. I'm looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And wherever he is, that will be heaven for me. Because I'm not looking for an outcome. I'm looking for the savior of the world. A better savior, a better covenant, a better faith. We live by faith and not by sight. And whatever you're going through today, good or bad, he has something better planned. I can't hardly wait. We're going to stand before him and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I'm trying to wind down, but I feel like someone needs some help this morning. I was listening on the radio, and they're talking about the growing of America and the great need to plan for your retirement, and you should plan for your retirement. Yes, 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 yes. Don't count on your kids. <laughs> no, they love you. They're just mortgaged up to their eyeballs, and you taught them how to do it. I'm just saying. And, I, and you do need to plan. But... Are, are you with me? I'm looking for a city. I'm looking for heaven as my home. Let's not lose our faith view. And this morning, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but if you're in that place of others were tortured and you feel like you're less of a child of God because of the battle you're in, get thee behind me, Satan. Because your confidence won't come from winning the battle. There'll be another one. Your confidence will come when you believe that you can approach him because he is and he rewards. My confidence is in him. Don't let someone beat you up because of which half of the end of Hebrews 11 you live in. They were all commended for their faith. So I want us to end this morning by taking just a moment to say, God, let faith arise in my heart. Let it be more than just a salvation hope. Let it be what, what fuels me and saturates me and empowers me and directs me. Then it doesn't matter what comes because of God before us. Who can be against us? We're going to overcome one day 
when we stand before the throne. Let's stand together this morning and let's take a few minutes. Could we just to worship Jesus together? Let's just love Jesus this morning.
I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment, please. I know there's someone here. I, I don't know who. I don't know any stories. I'm not singling anyone out. But you're in a place where you're in the middle of a battle. And you've been, you've been um, beating yourself up as a second-class Christian because you haven't won the victories that others have. You haven't had the financial prosperity and blessing that others have. You haven't had the successes others have. And the, the devil's been beating you up. And I just want you to know that you are not second class. Every believer of God who is not backing up is commended for their faith. Do not back up. Do not weary along the way. But God is faithful to remember your prayers, your tears, and your sacrifice. And he will reward you in the day of his coming. Have confidence and take courage, O ye of little faith, because he will empower your faith to do things beyond what you imagine. Keep your confidence in him, declares the Lord. For he walks by your side and he's closer than you know. Continue to trust. He is not ashamed of you, nor ashamed to call you son and daughter. He has a plan and is using you for his kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks today, Lord Jesus. We give you thanks for the confidence and assurance that faith brings to our lives. And everyone that loves him said, amen. amen. Give Jesus a clap of praise if you love him this morning.